Welcome to Flip the Script, the show where we talk about all your favorite adapted films and where they got their start. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that the following episode will spoil important plot points from the movie and its original source. I'm your host, Kim Labick, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello guys, I'm Anna Young, back to you today to talk about White Christmas with Kim. And this is our fourth podcast recording together, I think. I think so. I think that's right. And today we're going to be talking about White Christmas, the 1954 Christmas classic. Very clearly it's not based on the song, but we're going to talk a little bit as if it is, but we're also just taking massive creative liberty just to be able to talk about the movie, because why not? So yeah, as usual, if you have a favorite quote or moment that you want to talk about. Favorite moment. Um, Okay, the best moment in the movie is the redo of the sisters number when the two male leads do sisters. That's the best moment of the movie. It's amazing. It's so funny. Um, I think I read before, too, that that was not in the script, and it was just Ben Crosby and Danny Kaye like, messing around on set, and the director was like, that's funny. Can you do it again? And so they did it again and put it in the movie. And it's hilarious. It's the best part of the movie. It is. And that's what I love about just the magic of like creating a movie is the fact that, you know, everything won't go according to plan. And those fun little moments of like people improvise lines or, you know, like you're saying something wasn't planned in the script, but it just kind of ended up there because it was a fun idea. I always feel like more often than not, those are some of the best times in the movies. Totally. I mean, the number one thing that I think of is like, here's Johnny in The Shining. Like everyone knows Jack Nicholson ad lib that. You didn't know that? That's an ad lib. That He completely made that up. And Stanley Kubrick didn't know the reference. He didn't know that was a reference to anything. He just liked it. And he didn't know it was a reference to the Johnny Carson show, but he just liked it and put it Oh, in the I movie. didn't even know that. And that's like, right? It's like the most legendary part of the movie. Damn. Anyway. I always think of the uh, the Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight when he hits the button to blow up the hospital and it doesn't fully work and he like stops presses it a bunch of times and then it works and he like yep hops off fantastic love it it's fantastic so uh my favorite moment that i chose from this film was it's kind of like really early on when i'm already gonna forget his name but when phil is guilt tripping his buddy who i'm just gonna call bing crosby i think when he's like guilt tripping bob bob yeah yes thank you it's because like bob bing you know bob bing bob bing Um, Yeah, so it's early on and Phil is guilt tripping Bob into singing this duet with him. And he's like, he's like rubbing his broken arm and being like, oh, yeah, you know, that's fine. Whatever. It's okay. He's like really making a big deal out of it. Right. And then when Big Crosby, God, Bob, when Bob is like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do the thing. um, He like immediately shakes his hand with the supposedly broken arm. And it's yes. just like so funny. It's very good. It's very good. And I told you I was going to bring this up and I wa- don't want to forget. Mm-hmm. Danny Kaye's character's name is Phil Davis. And that is the name of my boyfriend. And I've always thought that was really funny that they have literally the same name. Yeah, that is crazy. Like, what are the chances of that? Like, I've never encountered like an Anna Young in a movie. I, I hope that someday you see your name in a movie because your your name is very like character-esque. I don't know how to describe it. And it's a pretty normal name. Like, it's not totally outlandish that it's possible that there would be an Anna Young in a movie. We will make it happen. Just so you can say that. Just so you can be like, my <laughs> name is a character name. There we go. There we go. So I did not look up when the first White Christmas song came out. 
I did a little bit of research just to refresh my memory before we did this. And I think mm-hmm. the f- song was originally released in 1942. It was like during World War II when it came out. Um, that right. I know for mm-hmm. sure. And it's written by Irving Berlin, who is like an American icon of songwriting. Dude is like so freaking iconic. Um, anyway, came out in like 1942-ish. We're going to go with that and pretend that I'm right, whether I am or not. Love and it. then it was in a couple other movies before it was actually in White Christmas, which is funny because this movie is named after the song. But it was in a movie called Holiday Inn, which there's some Ooh. other similarities to White Christmas that we can get to later. Uh, Holiday Inn, which um, was Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby. And then it was in another movie called Blue Skies, which is the name of another Irving Berlin song. Hmm. White Christmas was in two other movies before it was in the White Christmas movie. Damn. So Holiday Inn, what is that about? It's kind of really similar to White Christmas, and that's why it's kind of funny. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's another like buddy type movie with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. And it's at an inn in, like, Vermont, Connecticut, something really similar to White Christmas, um, where hijinks occurs. And then there's two women characters. It's really, really similar in plot Hmm. to White Christmas. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, the other similarity that I alluded to earlier is that the set of this movie, the inn set, is literally the same set from Holiday Inn. Oh, my God. It's the same one. And I read... A funny trivia. So Holiday Inn was in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I, I think Holiday Inn came out like 10 years before White Christmas. It's a pretty big distance between the two. And if you look at the inset, it's pretty gray and white. And it's because they painted it in grayscale. Whoa. And they just didn't repaint it for White Christmas. So kind of a funny piece of hmm. trivia there for you. That's really interesting, too, that they would paint the set in grayscale. Yeah. And another similarity that this is a little interesting, um, if I remember correctly, in Holiday Inn, there is a, you know how there's like that minstrel show song in White Christmas? It's before Mandy, like a minstrel show. I don't remember how the song goes, but they mention it. Minstrels were often in like the Hollywood Golden Age musicals, but they were usually white people in blackface. And this was one of the first movies to not do that when referencing oh. minstrels. So kind of interesting. Well, good. And, but Bing Crosby was in Holiday Inn where they did a minstrel song and he did blackface in that movie. So there you go. Oh, yikes. 1942 to 1954. Some things changed, I guess. Yeah. Oh, uh, part of me, like, again, this movie is, you know, this movie came out in 1954 and there's a lot about it when rewatching it that I was like, oh, yeah, this is very classically tragically 50s oh it's so 50s but i mean we can't really dwell on that every movie from then is is just like that i was thinking about that while watching it like there's a lot of like allusions to like the women need to be married and blah 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 like there's a lot of crap like that in mm-hmm. this movie and it's actually a pretty big part of the plot is like the the need for these single people to be married especially the women but it was the mm-hmm. 50s and i i don't think it's worth dwelling on you know it, it it'd be different if the movie came out now but in 1954 i mean that's just how the world was so yeah for me, the way that I kind of see it is I'm getting more to this point in my life where I just don't want to watch movies that were made earlier than like 85 or whatever, because <laughs> I just know that they're going to be uncomfortable to watch in some respect. But like, so for this movie, knowing that it is so tragically 50s and has many issues um, in it, it is a classic. Like a lot of people love this film for the good reasons and whatnot. When I really get down to it. I feel like this is the perfect movie to leave on in the background 
while you're like wrapping presents and oh, yeah. making Christmas cookies and yes. decorating the tree, like to not really pay attention to, but like the music and the and the songs and like yes. the occasional lines here and there are worth it being like, ah, oh, what a classic. I think you totally nailed it because I thought that because I had it in the background today while working because I wanted to watch it mm-hmm. before we did this. And that's literally what I thought. I'm like, overall, you don't really need to be paying attention to this movie to enjoy it. The best things about the movie are the music is the music. The music is amazing in this movie. I really think the music in this oh, yeah. is like incredibly good. And the dance numbers are awesome. The choreography mm-hmm. is stunning. And like you said, there's some great like one-liner moments, but like you don't really need to pay attention to the whole thing. That's not what makes the movie great. Exactly. On the note, though, of the choreography, I was like, again, just re-paying attention to the choreography specifically while I was re-watching this today. And like, it is so good. Like, there's oh, yeah. not a lot of dancing films that we have nowadays. I think the the last one that really came out, that would be notable would be like cats but that's not what anybody thinks about when you think about the movie cats yeah but for white christmas it it was so well done and it's so good and like there's specifically this one time fairly early on in the movie um where phil is dancing with his lady friend Vera Allen's <laughs> again character. Names. yeah 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 and they like swing around the poles of this bridge Yes. Together. And then they like later on, they like swing on a glider and they seamlessly fall back into the dance. And I'm just like, damn, you guys are talented. And what a cool use of like the setting and, yeah. you know, these props. And it's just so good. Yeah. I I have a special soft spot in my heart for like the golden age Hollywood musicals. I agree. I don't watch a ton of like older movies anymore. I like the classics. And sometimes I do like watching like pre-1970 movies but not often but I do really mm-hmm. love the golden age musicals because my mom really liked them so I watched them a lot growing up um like seven brides for seven brothers and mm-hmm. trying to think of other movies I'll, I'll, you know what I'm talking about they're all like the flashy dance number movies that are kind of like don't really make sense in reality whatsoever but they're just really fun and everyone <laughs> yeah. in it is absurdly talented West Side Story movies like that Singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. That's a thousand percent. And I do kind of miss those movies because they are really fun. And I do kind of think that's what they were hoping to do with Cats and it just didn't work. I think that was kind of what they wanted out of the movie originally. Um, but that's like mm-hmm. like La La Land pays tribute to all of those movies. And I do really love La La yeah. Land a lot. But it, mm-hmm. it's incredible how talented these people are. Like it is unbelievable. Like it, 90% of people in movies now could not do what any of the people in White Christmas were doing. They were singing. They were dancing. They were ad-libbing. They were acting their butts. like they're, And all of these people were not just actors. They were recording artists and radio stars and professional dancers. Like, It's just a level of talent that is pretty unprecedented now, I think. Well, and we definitely do have a lot of big names that are multi-talented. Um, but I think... I think just overall, it's, you know, kind of like you're saying, it's like less frequent, I guess. Yeah. It's more unusual to find that person who's a triple threat. Like there used to be an expectation if you were going to be in Hollywood, like on your contract, you had to have like, you'll dance and sing and do this and this and this and all of these movies. And it's just not that that way anymore. Like you can just be a good actor. Yeah. Especially with musicals, there's a lot of instances where, and I, I make this mistake too, of kind of like getting on an actor's case a little bit about their singing ability in like a musical when they're they're more of a just a regular actor but then they are in a musical and they have this singing i think like russell crowe is an instance like people really got on his case yeah yeah, about being like well you're not really a great singer but obviously he's a great actor and 
when it comes to how we make musicals nowadays, we depend more on the acting ability to carry the whole performance rather than like, you don't really have to be a good singer because even the musical numbers that you will have, the songs that you will have is still for us now more about you being able to portray the emotion rather than perfectly hit the note. Right. That's like, you think of like Anne Hathaway and Les Mis gave an amazing performance, won an Oscar for it. She is a pretty Mm -hmm. good singer, I would say, but like they did all the singing live. It wasn't so much about like having like pristine vocals it was more about like the vocal performance and the acting performance. Whereas like back in the fifties, everything was lip synced. Like you recorded everything in the studio. Everything was perfect, 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 perfect. It's just a different way of making musicals. On that note of lip syncing, um, when they do the re- the second rendition of Sisters and it's uh, Phil and Bob and they're lip syncing to the record of the song, it was weird for a moment for me. I was watching that and I was like, why is it not in the guys' voices? Right. Why would there be a recording for them to lip sync to? Right. But like you're saying, yeah, they there was like all lip syncing back then before we like stopped that and said, just fucking sing. And so, too, when we're on the lip syncing topic. So Vera Allen's character, I, I forget her character's name. Betty? Betty. Yes. Is it Betty? Not Rose. That's not, one of the women. Not um the other Rose. Is it Rosalind Clooney? Rosemary Rosie? Clooney? Oh, ro- yeah. Rosemary... Clooney. Rosemary. It's Rosemary Clooney. Yes. Anyway, not her character, the other character. That actress could not sing and had another actress sing for her. Um, so, Ooh. and when you know that, it becomes kind of obvious. Like, I really noticed it in the snow song when they're on the train. Oh, oh, now I know exactly what you're talking about. Her yep. voice just doesn't really match her, and you can kind of tell that it's not her singing. Whereas Rosemary Clooney was like a world famous recording artist. Like that's what she was famous for was being a fantastic singer. And same like Danny Kay and obviously Bing Crosby did all of his own singing. They're still lip syncing, mm-hmm. but they did their own recording in the studio. But you can kind of tell that she was brought on for her dancing abilities. And I think her dancing in the movie is the best. She has amazing choreography in the in the middle section. Like you mentioned that number earlier with Danny Kaye's character where they're dancing in the beginning. Her choreography is mm-hmm. by far the most difficult. But yeah, she did not do her own singing. It's like um, Zac Efron in the first High School Musical didn't do his own singing. Wh- Hang on. Sometimes. What? Wait, you didn't know that? Drew Seeley. Drew Seeley sings for Zac Efron in the first High School Musical and then High School Musical or in, and then in two and three, Zac Efron sings. I feel so betrayed that I didn't know this and that no one told me until now. Yeah. Damn. It happens. But then he he sang for the other two? I believe so, yeah. Weird, because I also feel like, damn, now I have to go rewatch it, because I feel like I don't notice a difference in the I think they did a better job singing. matching up the voice to body. I guess so, yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he did not do his own singing. I don't think I'm making that up. That's, wow. Yeah. That is so cool, actually. Like... That I didn't know that. That's good that I didn't know that because then they did a great job, obviously. I guess so. But uh, mentioning Bing Crosby's singing ability, oh man. His voice is like butter. Exactly. It's so smooth. So just like, oh, uh, I just want him to sing like a whole record of lullabies. Is he still alive? I no, feel like he died not. in the 70s. I looked that up. He died long ago. Mm, dang. I wish he would have sang like a whole album of lullabies and I could just fall asleep. Yeah. So I did look up, I just was curious about Bing Crosby's life. I was obviously familiar with him because he's Bing Crosby. Mm. So he was like kind of the man in America for like a couple decades. Like he was probably the most famous man in America in the 1940s. He was kind of a really big deal. 
so he kind of got famous in the late 1930s, it sounds like. So kind of pre-World War II. And then he really blew up in World War II and was really highly, highly regarded because he entertained the troops overseas with Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. Bob Hope was like one of his besties. Um, and Bob Hope and him went overseas and entertained troops and were like superstars from that. And he's considered the first like multimedia celebrity because he also had a radio show, was on TV. Um, he was a pioneer of pre-recording radio shows. So they always did radio live basically before Bing Crosby. And then he invested in a company um, that did tape and started pioneering pre-recording radio shows to increase their quality. And he would, you know, do rehearsals and redo retakes and all of that stuff on his radio show. And that, like, exponentially improved the quality of radio shows in the 1940s. Two things on everything that you just said. One, so I guess Bing Crosby, in a sense, invented podcasts. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not wrong. And then... And then secondly, because this movie, White Christmas, is about Bob and Phil, like, going, yeah. um, yep, like, being entertainers, and they're, like, from the military, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, like, a, that's kind of where Bob starts off on this whole thing. Is that, did they take that from Bing Crosby's real life? I don't know. I do think he had always been attached to this project, so maybe, yeah, maybe they developed that part for him. Interesting. So he was an interesting guy, and obviously, I don't know if you knew this, but White Christmas is the number one largest selling song of all time. Oh, Yes. Yeah, it is the most popular song of all time. So, but and mm-hmm. Bing Crosby is one of the highest grossing artists of all time. This movie was the highest grossing movie of the year that it came out. He was a pretty big deal. And I don't think he was as successful after this. I think this was one of his like last really popular things that Bing Crosby did. Um, and then his career kind of started fading. I think he was, he won an Oscar in 1944 for Going My Way. And then I think by the mid 1950s, his career kind of started to fade as movies shifted more into, you know, different topics more dramatic fare of the 1960s that wasn't really his jam so interesting so while you also mentioned that it was the highest grossing film of 1954 trivia question anna how much money did that movie make in the box office is this adjusted for inflation in its time like not adjusting not adjusting no okay 1.5 million that's a that is a good guess but it is more than that okay it is $12 million. $12 million. Okay. Okay. I'm not good with the inflation thing. I do know that I think nowadays it'd be like $250 million or something crazy. Like, I think it adjusted. It oh, would be like yeah. a huge movie. Mm-hmm. But interesting. Probably not better than Star Wars, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, trivia for you. Yeah. The director of this movie, do you know what other, like, Hollywood classic he directed? <gasps> Ooh, oh my god. Um, Would it also be a musical? No. No? Okay, 50s, though. 50s still? Uh, it came out in the 40s. It's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. You want me to tell you? Yeah, go for it. Casablanca. Oh, hell, like one of the, literally like considered yeah. like one of the top three Yeah, he directed Casablanca, which I didn't, I never realized that. I have never made the connection. Casablanca. Whoa. He also did a bunch of like Damn. the swashbuckler movies. He did like the Robin Hood movie and a bunch of like cool pirate movies. Um, he was a pretty legit director. Michael... Curtis? Curtis? He was European. Hmm. Kind of sad that we didn't learn about him in, like, film history. I know! Like, he's super legit! Oh, so a big thing that I do kind of want to mention, just in the realm of, again, this movie's not an adaptation, but the fact that, like, the song White Christmas is, you know, like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I love how, in the movie, the the story from that is that they're, 
you know, like in the military and whatever. And the concept of like, if you're off in wartime, like, yes, you would be dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones you used to know. Yep. And the motif of like snow, of the fact that they want snow Mm -hmm. is an important plot point with the film, which, you know, is again sort of taken from the song which was like that's cool that's a great way to like you know again it's not really an adaptation but that's a great way to take the inspiration i guess from the song into the movie yeah and i feel like this is a pleasant christmas movie because it's not really about christmas and it's not really about shoving christmas down your face or like any kind of intense like family theme it's more like the joyfulness of the holidays that i think this movie's about and obviously snow and the christmas really has nothing to do with this besides the time of year and like the climax of the movie is christmas and then the all the veterans come to the inn on i believe it's on christmas eve or christmas day i don't remember what they say in the movie but other than that i i kind of like that it's not so like christmas 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 it's kind of nice because i feel like a lot of what we've fallen into in what we consider the current type of classic christmas movie is just like i'm a single business woman (laughs) And it's around Christmas time. I don't have a man. And I'm going to pretend to have a man so that my family is proud of me. And then I accidentally fall in love with this man. And he's Santa Claus. And I know the meaning of Christmas. It's just all this kind of like... Yeah. Yeah. It's. I feel like the Christmas classic has been in some ways very watered down to being just about like the same three or four things. Yeah. Phil and I were just talking about the other day. We were saying there hasn't really been a Christmas classic to come out since Elf, really. Yeah. Oh, you know what I watched the other day that I would recommend? I mean, I don't think it's amazing, but definitely check it out. Uh, Happiest Season? Yes, I watched that. I watched that and I quite enjoyed it. It was very good. Yeah, it was fun. And it was definitely, it's nice to finally see more LGBT inclusion in media in general, but specifically around like a Christmas movie. Yeah, and Dan Levy was like my favorite part of the movie. Levy, Levy, I never know how to say his last name. He was the best part of the movie. He carried the movie for me. That was a really fun movie. I don't mean to tangent on the happiest season, but I liked that movie too. <laughs> it was really fun. It gave me the feels at the end, which is what I want from a holiday movie. So Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so kind of another sort of negative thing about White Christmas. In the like one of the opening scenes when they are, it's like all the soldiers or whatever and they're watching the show. There is not a single person of color. There is not a single woman. Oh, it's yeah. just all white men and in it, that whole thing. I, I noticed this too during the snow scene on the train when they're getting drinks poured for them. All you see is the hand of a black man pouring the drink for them. Yikes. Yeah. Yep. I noticed that too. I was like, eee! <laughs> 1954. And so I mentioned I'm going to start a little bit of a segment in this podcast now called um, just girl go off because i have a little bit of a rant here along with this movie so i'm gonna go off the song g i wish i was back in the army why did i know you're gonna mention that (laughs) disclaimer i want to make it clear that like you know there's a lot of good that our nation's military does and for a lot of people who serve in the military it happens to be a great choice for them and their life however (laughs) this song to me is like the epitome of like media propaganda for the military because it's just like wow i wish i was back in the army we got free food and it was so much fun and what a great time and like that's this whole song i think the worst part for me is when they have the female side of it 
and it's the it's the women singing Gia, which I was back in the army. And the whole like the whole point of their lyrics of what they're saying in that song is they're like, I wish I was back in the army because there were so many men that I could just pick all the men I wanted. And I'm like, that is sexist and disgusting. And also there's a lot of sexism in the military because it's so like a male dominated field. And there's like a lot of sexual assault and sexual abuse in the mm-hmm. military that is not being properly addressed and fixed. But just like that song, that whole song about being like, wow, how great it was. Like three meals a day, all this entertainment. What a great time. I just, that song just irks me because again, it's the epitome of like 1950s. Yeah. Can we just like, yeah, not be so brainwashing for a minute and like a little bit better? I don't know. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I thought the same thing when I heard it. I do tiny rebuttal um not mm-hmm. yeah not in my rebuttal but i know when i was reading about this movie that irving berlin wrote the song um in response to a i don't remember i want to say it was like some politician or something who spoke negatively of veterans from world war ii and so he wrote it to say thank you to our troops <laughs> right right uh, that and, was the yeah, so at yeah. least there's like kind of a nice reason behind it but <laughs> I'm completely with you. And I thought the same thing when I heard the song. I was like, "Mm, no, sorry, honey. Not here for that. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when like literally the scene that we saw in that movie that was any like actual warfare military involvement. They they were in the middle of a bombing. (laughs) Like, And then to have that song later on be like, gosh, I wish I was being bombed again. Literally. What a great time. And (laughs) didn't the Korean War just end like right after this movie came or right before this movie came out so it's like and that was not a super popular war either so it's kind of interesting exactly because i think korea ended in like 53 or 54 so it would have been filmed probably while the war was ending or about to end i think i i don't know if i have my dates wrong but i think that's about right because i think korea was 50 to 53 54 Mm -hmm. so kind of interesting there thank you for bringing that up because as you mentioned it's like a very not learned about and not talked about war in our nation's history because I'm I'm I should really fact check myself on this. I believe we just like really didn't win that war. No, that's totally correct. Yep. We were involved, we just fucked shit up and then eventually left. Nope, I think that's completely accurate. <laughs> um I I I don't I think it's a similar kind of situation to Vietnam where we kind of went in when we didn't really need to. Um but mm-hmm. obviously Vietnam was much deadlier for our country and was much more unpopular. Right. And it was just a different time in culture where it became more of a, a, an unpopular war. But yeah, Korea wasn't really a success for the U.S. either. So kind of interesting that that's a theme of this movie. Mm-hmm. Although it's, it's World War II. I shouldn't, that makes it sound like it's Korea. It did not place, take place during the Korean War. It takes place during World War II. Um, right. Yeah. But And still. you know, it, that it does, it makes sense for that movie to come out in 1954, around that time, in that moment in our culture, it does make sense. Because that was sort of the general attitude of people at the time, where they were more, not extremely pro-military, but they were less critical of the military. American pride was, was very high in the 1950s. I mean, uh, yeah, that kind of, yeah. I think that ties into like, the golden age of Hollywood and maybe this is my rant but go off <laughs> but it's very I think that's why you know if you watch movies from the 50s everything's very shiny happy you know if you look at movie there's a lot of really heavy movies that came out 
I would say mid 1940s around the time the end of World War II. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I think of the Lost Weekend and um, best years of our best years of our lives, best days of our lives. Um, that's a movie about World War II. Uh, Lost Weekend is a, about alcoholism. Really heavy dark subject matter movies and then from i'd say you know mid to mid 1940s to the end of the 1950s basically every movie is pretty happy and positive and light and i it really reflects the ideals of the american culture at the time right cuz 1950s america was yeah. our economy was really strong um the baby boomers were being born it was just a time of prosperity for our country that we haven't really seen since. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, it's really reflected in all the movies. You know, if you go watch really any movie from 1950s that I can think of, they're all pretty dang peppy <laughs> and happy. Um, and it's interesting to think about, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes you wonder maybe, you know, what movies are we going to be seeing in the next couple years here when we've gone through arguably one of the darkest times in our entire country's history period yes just in general that concept of like the golden age of hollywood how it was tied into you know our culture i think that is part of the reason me just as a person i have a good chunk of animosity towards what is considered like classic hollywood because you know it's not all bad like i'm not saying like all those movies were like garbage and like all this stuff is terrible like no everything every movie has good and bad to it kind of thing but like contextualizing it with White Christmas and everything, it's just like it was such a hyped culture and the fact that it did gloss over so many things. Just like on the subject of like racism and stuff, like it was just like everything's great for all the white people, you yeah. know? Yeah. It just when you look back on it now in 2020 with the movies that we're getting now, like, I don't know, I could just <laughs> I can lose them off. Like we have so many good movies coming out now that it is difficult for me personally as a filmmaker and as a human living in this time, to look back on these movies and see them put their time and their culture up on a pedestal when we know that, like, there was a lot of bad shit going on. But is there something yeah. to be said for a movie that's just pure entertainment? Does every movie have to address Right. And that's a an good issue? point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? You know? And that's a good point, too, is, like, specifically, like, with White Christmas, like, this is not a movie that is saying, like... I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of a political stance, but there not is. like strongly. There is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, I, I do think, and like, could it have been a more diverse cast? Uh-huh. Could it, there's a lot of things that it could have done while still being purely entertaining. Um, right, right. But we weren't really even focused on that back in that time. Like right. we Exactly. As a culture, we're like more or less thinking like, oh, what can we make that's just like a fun movie with the same people that we work with? Yeah. Because it was just not really on the people in power the people making movies and everything that was not really on their mind at the time to be diverse and to be more accepting well i think just the opposite was on their mind they needed to be very white i mean if you know anything about the history of hollywood the producers entirely ruled what happened in every movie they were the dictators of hollywood and i'm sure they said you know we're not going to sell tickets in the deep south if there's a black man in this movie like that's just how it was so Mm -hmm. i mean I quite like classic Hollywood purely because there's a lot of really dark stuff, like deep, dark stuff that was happening in Hollywood to contrast with these light, fluffy movies. And it's really interesting to take time to learn about because it was a really crazy industry at the time. And I know that the industry is still crazy now and there's a lot of bad things that still happen to good people in the industry. But it's a little bit more of a business now than it was then. And it was a little bit more of a crazy place. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stories that came out of Hollywood and it contrasts so deeply with a lot of the, you know, fluffy light entertainment that you see in the movies. 
So that's, I think, always why I've been really intrigued by it. It's so interesting to be able to look back on those movies now. You know, it would be so different if we were growing up in that time period and talking about White Christmas in the 50s. Like, we would just be like, this is the best movie made ever. I love every second about it. Everything is perfect. Moving on kind of thing. Yeah, if anything, it was probably an opposite feeling of like, oh, man, The Lost Weekend was a really sad movie. I don't ever want to watch that again. When, like, if you watch the movie, it's like an incredible performance and a really great subject matter that you know nowadays it, it, most movies cover subject matters like that and it's not weird or interesting really <laughs> so it's funny to think mm-hmm. about how all that's changed in really not that long you know 70 years less than 70 years yeah that's another thing is when you think about it film is such a young art yeah like totally like painting has been around for centuries like music has been around since basically the beginning of time Like, all of these different art forms, writing has also been around for so long, but film as its own art has been around since, in widespread, it's really only been around since, like, the 30s. Right. Yeah. It's crazy Mm -hmm. to think about, and it's crazy to think about how quickly it's evolved, you know? And uh, other art forms have evolved a lot, too. You know, you think of how different music has changed even just since the beginning of the new millennium, really. Uh, Music is Mm -hmm. completely different than it was then. Um, But film has changed and will keep changing. And it's changing a lot right now. This year alone, film is changing a lot. Um, And I think we're entering a new phase of filmmaking, quite frankly. But it's just, yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, you would, like we said earlier, you would never see a movie like White Christmas made right now. They would never make this movie now. It just wouldn't be done. Right. And I think that, again, ties into kind of why my personal taste in film tends to be more like I like the new stuff. And I get a little bit like hurt and sad when people refer to this age of Hollywood as like classic golden whatever, because knowing what we know now, we're, we're, we tend to be more diverse. We tend to be more just better overall in like how we portray people and stories and whatnot. And we're not even where we should be still, but we're getting there. We're a lot better than we used to be in like the 50s. So I don't know. It's it's so hard to formulate this argument because I don't I'm not saying like, let's disregard all of those films. But I personally just think the best way to say it is that film, because it's always changing and because it's getting better, is like we are always in the golden era of Hollywood because yeah. we are always better than we were last year or two years ago kind you of know, thing. I look at it as I think that term does apply mostly because that was Hollywood. That was when Hollywood was Hollywood, right? That that was when the celebrity right. yeah. became a thing. That's when, you know, you had Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable and John Wayne and all of those guys we're never going to have celebrities like that again. You know, yeah, we still have famous people. You know, everyone knows who, you know, Chris Pratt is or whatever, or Tom Cruise. They're still movie stars, but the level of celebrity and the way that celebrities operated within Hollywood was very different then. And the way that the system operated in general was very different in the 50s. And it's just, it was just a different place in time. And it was a really golden time for hollywood specifically i mean think about now most movies are made in atlanta vancouver uh new york la is definitely still a destination where movies are made but hollywood itself isn't hollywood anymore you know what i mean that's yeah that is a very good point i didn't really think of it from that viewpoint but you're right it really was more of hollywood in that sense than it was just like again what you're saying now it being a much more widespread right uh industry yeah 
yeah, it, that's a good. It's an industry. It's a it's a global industry now. Right. You know, the film industry is not centralized in Hollywood anymore. And it's not to say that I mean, obviously, like German cinema and Russian cinema emerged around the same time that Hollywood did. Um, there was definitely global cinema at the time. Arguably, Europe was doing it better than we were for quite a while. But now it's just global. You know, we, you can pack up and go film the movie in Africa even if it's financed out of Canada, it, it's not the same that it was. And, and and I do agree that we're in a completely different age and it's probably a better age and a more diverse, interesting age for making content than ever. But I still think the golden age holds up specifically just for, for what it was because it will never happen again. I kind of feel like um, I, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, White Christmas. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Oh, you know what? I did want to mention while we are talking about um, sort of like the beginning of Hollywood and the beginning of the film age at that time. uh, A fun fact that you probably know because you went to the same school that I did and you were also in film kind of thing. One of the biggest reasons why Los Angeles became like the original hub for the film industry back in the day was because... We have near constant sunlight and back in the day that movies started being made in, you know, the early 1900s and stuff there, we didn't have like electronic lights. It was not nearly as easy to have all this equipment and stuff that we have now. So having near constant sunlight was your way to get light and to therefore expose the film and to therefore have a film. And you need a lot more light for black and white as well. But I was going to say too, though. Now it's kind of flipped. And and the reason Georgia is a highly desirable state to film in is because it has really diverse landscapes, Um, you know, often changing climate. Um, It's easy for film sets to operate in a lot of different spaces and make it look like a lot of different destinations at once um, Mm -hmm. rather than having to travel as much or build as many sets. Um, It's a little bit more flexible for crews and it's the tax breaks. So now it's all about tax breaks, which obviously California still has a lot of tax incentives for film, um, but Mm -hmm. Georgia's are highly competitive and that's why it's become a really desirable state to film in. Um, You know, Canada, Vancouver has really desirable tax breaks as well. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where most productions are happening currently right now in 2020 um, because Canada has less COVID and better tax rates. Um, (laughs) So, you know, all like the CW shows are filming in Vancouver right now. And there's a lot of other productions that have moved up to Canada if they can. Same with the UK. It's, it's, It's often now more about money and environment rather than sunlight. (laughs) Yeah, because we have the technology. Right. I love how we have a more widespread industry and it's not just Los Angeles, you know, because it also in many ways kind of sucks to film in Los Angeles. And, you know, I want to get us back on track with talking about Way of Christmas. The last thing that I want to say about this is that, yeah, sometimes it does really suck to film in Los Angeles if you don't have a million dollars or so on your own. Like you, yeah, there's so much money required to you know, not only just like pay the people that you're working with and rent the equipment, but location fees are insane. And like a lot of the rules around that are insane. Yeah. And I understand why they have those in place, but it's just difficult to be able to make filmmaking accessible yep. in this town. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But so going back, one thing I do know about White Christmas is that the the song itself is supposedly like the most recorded Christmas song ever sure like there's yeah. there's more than 500 different versions that other people have done and remixed or whatever mm-hmm. does kind of make sense it i couldn't does. really think of another song that i was like you know i've heard this so many different ways it makes total sense i'm not even a little surprised by it 
I think even Bing Crosby recorded like four versions of it himself. So yeah, well, because I think for the movie there was a different, you know, they did a different version of the song for the movie than was the original song. Right, because there's no, it's only him, it's only Bing Crosby singing in like the version that I'm most familiar with, like the radio version, and then obviously in the movie there's all the main characters like harmonize and and sing in the final song, mm-hmm. the final White Christmas in the movie too. So yeah, I think there's like multiple versions just featuring Bing Crosby. So I totally believe that. That doesn't surprise me. Hell yeah. Something also that I want to say that's like really cool about this movie, just like the costumes are, especially when you get to like that final scene and everyone's like in a different Santa type thing. Oh man. Fabulous. Rosemary Clooney's dress at the end is the best Christmas dress I've ever seen in my life. She is looking, girlfriend's looking good. Oh yeah. I love that dress. The costumes are absolutely fantastic. Good note. Good note. Interesting like conspiracy theory thing about the costumes mm-hmm. so watching the movie you probably noticed that vera ellen's character vera ellen the actress is very thin in the movie um it's kind of hard not to notice she's a very thin person um and mm-hmm. the long-standing rumor is that all of her clothing was made to cover up to the neck um to cover up that she was anorexic like her body had damage from her anorexia and they had fashioned her costumes to cover up I, I'm not really familiar with eating disorders or anorexia, but apparently she had like collarbone damage from her disorder and they had to cover it up oh. through her costumes. And if you, every single thing she wears in the movie has like a collar up to her neck, everything. Oh, dang. So it's kind of interesting to think about. I don't know how true it is, but it's a longstanding thing about the movie and you do notice it once you hear it because Rosemary Clooney's wears a ton of different clothing in the movie you know she has a bunch of different necklines Mm -hmm. diverse dresses of all cuts and shapes and vera ellen's are all cut all the way up to her neck high collars so well i will say i mean if that's true that it's like you know again it being a rumor but if that's true that's unfortunate but i also on the bright side she like really works the high neck like I said, I have no idea if it's true. It's just something to right. note of the costume design. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, she's a fantastic dancer. So girlfriend was working it anyway. So I, I hope that that was not true. And I hope that she was healthier. And that would be very sad. But mm. going back to a happier note, the costumes are stunning. They're all <laughs> awesome. I thought the same while watching the movie. Specifically for the two main female characters. Right. And then on kind of like the the look, the aesthetic of the film... Fun fact that I learned on IMDb that is so, it's definitely a true fact. The snow used at the end of the film is actually asbestos. I've heard that, that before. That, my friends, is 100% fact. No, you know, I think that's sure. true, Kim. I know you think it's not true. I think that's true. I think that's what they used in movies. What? Come on. No. I think they literally just sprinkled asbestos on people because it was the 1950s. I think that's true. Are you being serious? That sounds so outrageous. I know. And I think it's true. I think that's oh a real God. thing. That's why everybody because, died so and young. And I know another snow. F- so um, It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. Nice. And in that movie, the snow that they use, I think I've read they used um, stuff from fire extinguishers, like the foam that you'd have from that, which oh was like, God. and that's what they used because they wanted to be healthier than using asbestos. It was like that was the better alternative was using fire extinguisher foam. Yeah. So how would they... Now I'm curious. Like if they actually use asbestos, how do they harvest the asbestos? I don't know. I don't know. How do you get asbestos? Like how do you get gallons of asbestos? I don't know. (laughs) Do they just go to like an old building and scrape it off the pipes? (laughs) God. 
my trivia that I wanted to tell you, because I thought this was an interesting one, as an Oscars nerd, mm-hmm. Irving Berlin won an Oscar for White Christmas, and he's the only person in Oscar history to open his own envelope. Like, he was the award announcer for his award. Damn. So he opened the envelope and was like, it me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I know. I thought that was a fun one. Oh my, can you imagine, like, you won the Oscar previously? Because did they still do that back in the day when... Was that how they chose presenters? Was oh, I don't know. Previously? Yeah, I don't know. I would think so. But who knows? I feel like it makes sense. Yeah. But again, that could just be because that's how we know the Oscars currently. Right. Yeah. Another small fun fact that I know. Well, the last fun fact that I know about this um, is that Bing Crosby actually improvised like a lot of his lines in the movie. I believe that. I mean, he was a talented guy. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And some of the scenes when you watch them, like one in particular that I would probably notice this is like. Uh, in the beginning when Phil is like trying to talk to Bob and be like settle down have nine kids give me 45 minutes of time a lot of that I could totally see that being like skeleton written out and then they just kind of like back and forth it because it sounds very natural coming from both of them I agree yeah he they're both pretty quippy in the movie so it doesn't surprise me that they let him riff a little bit Mm -hmm. so I have a somewhat off-topic question for you okay uh since you said that Oh god, I already forgot the title of it. The the ring the ring bell guy, the Christmas you were like that one's my favorite movie. Angels oh, and it's a wonderful life. That one. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Since you already said that that is your favorite Christmas movie, what is your favorite Christmas song? Hmm. So, I think I like Jingle Bell Rock the most. It's just a it's just a bop. It's so fun. However, I was thinking, I read this, NPR did an article about this the other day, and I think for 2020, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is going to be my favorite song. It has really touching lyrics for 2020. It was written during World War II, um, when many folks obviously were not able to be with their families. Um, It has lyrics like, you know, um, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. You know, it's about it's about pushing through for the holidays. Um, you know, you it's about hoping to be with your family, but maybe not being able to see them. Um, it's a very relevant 2020 Christmas song. But that's more of like for this year. But I think overall, Jingle Bell Rock is my favorite. Nice. What's yours? Oh, it's such a good one. I did mention this. Um, I recorded, I don't know when these are going to come out timeline wise, uh, but I recorded the, the Grinch episode a few days ago. Mm. So I, I did mention this before, but I'll say it again. My favorite Christmas song is Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. Ah. If you've ever... Indeed. It's just so fun (laughs) and, like, dark and fun. I respect that. I do think overall, I really like listening to, like, jazz Christmas. I'm not really, like, a... Like, I like listening to the standards, I would say, like, the radio hits, but I like, like, a jazzy Christmas. Like, Like, a... I consider those better versions of Christmas classics, so... Those are good ones. Yeah. All the... Most Christmas songs are good ones. Oh, my God. But you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, if if they were to remake White Christmas, like mm. a new adaptation of it, God, this would redeem the um, Gee, I Wish It Was Back in the Army song. It would redeem it if they used Christmas at Ground Zero. Oh, my God. For, for White Christmas. Iconic. <laughs> be really dark, but really funny. Who would you put in the remake? Who would be your cast? The only people that I could think that I would want would be the same guys from 1917. For some reason. <laughs> I just could not. Every time I was imagining Tommen like a... from Game of Thrones is coming in. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. What about like Channing Tatum? He can dance. He's a great dancer. You know what? Yeah. And he hasn't been in something for a while. Yeah. What about like Channing Tatum? Or like, hmm. 
Would Channing Tatum? I feel like Channing Tatum would be Bob because he seems more like he would be. He would be Bob, the more somewhat stoic kind. He would be Bob, and I feel like I feel like it would be James Corden. Like I don't want it to be James Corden, but they would cast James Corden in the Danny K role. Yeah. <laughs> that does- are you right? saying that also because of cats? Yeah, like it just would be James Corden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the the sisters? The sisters. Who would be like a fun sister? Hmm. Hmm. I my instinct is to say, oh god, the the blonde chick from Mamma Mia. Oh, Amanda Seyfried. Yes, Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. Heck yeah. Totally. I'm in for that. But who would be the other sister? What if she just plays both sisters? <laughs> she just plays them as if they're twins. <laughs> we do twins. Or like, <laughs> can Jennifer Lawrence sing? They would be fun sisters. I could see them being fun sisters in the movie. I don't know if she can sing, though. I remember um, watching an interview with Jennifer Lawrence where she was like, I don't sing. And they made me sing for Hunger Games. You know, there's like, she has the the song with Rue and then, well, song with Rue and Prim and then also the, the Hanging Tree. But I, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence can sing well, but I think that she can sing enough that a, a studio can use it and like fair, yeah. Um yeah. edit it to sound or like good. Who can sing? It'll just be Meryl Streep. Yeah, st- <laughs> Meryl Streep and Amanda Se- it's just Mamma Mia again. We just have Mamma Mia. Can Meryl Streep be the one who ends up with Channing Tatum? <laughs> yes. I wanna see that. <laughs> I am so into this. This is a better version. What about Meryl Streep and Betty White? Yes. Dynamic duo. Yes. So yeah, is there any other... Do you have any other things that you want to mention about this movie, White Christmas? Mm. Or just life, you know? I'm glad it's Christmas time, even though Christmas is not normal this year. I still am looking forward to just enjoying the holidays as much as possible, and I hope everyone listening is able to enjoy it as well, even if it's not exactly what they thought it would be. Nice. Very well said. And for anybody who's listening, if you want to go watch White Christmas, currently it's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Well, thank you again, Anna, for our what I believe to be our fourth episode. Boop. We will see you soon. I'll be back. And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you're listening from. You can also find exclusive episode release schedules and more on our Instagram, Flip the Script with Kim. Thank you for your time, and we hope you'll tune in for next week's episode. Peace out. <laughs>